are listening to the Classic Sermons Podcast from PreachTheBible.org, a ministry of North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California. You will hear fervent, old-fashioned revival sermons from great preachers of the past. It is our desire that you will be helped by this gospel message. All right, open your Bible tonight to the book of Joshua, chapter 7. The other Wednesday night, I brought a message on Let's All Go Up to Ai, and I've been reading in that particular section of the Scriptures, and there were some other things I wanted to share with you I did not share the other night. I think I'll share them with you tonight. I'm not going to read this chapter in its entirety. I'm going to read a few verses, and then I'm going to review the story in connection with the failure and then uh, give you some spiritual lessons that we can gather from this experience of the children of Israel and their defeat at Ai. Chapter 7, verse 1. But the children of Israel committed a trespass in the accursed thing for Achan the son of Carmi and the son of Zadai and the son of Zerah of the tribe of Judah took the accursed thing and the anger of the Lord was kindled against the children of Israel. Look over across on the same page in the other column, verse 19, and see what it says. But all the silver and gold and vessels of brass and iron are consecrated unto the Lord. They shall come into the treasury of the Lord. The accursed thing that Achan took, if you turn over, to the next page, chapter 7, verse 21, Achan is confessing to Joshua, and he said, When I saw the spoils among the spoils, a goodly Babylonian garment, and two hundred uh, shekels of silver, and a wedge of gold of fifty shekels weight, then I coveted them, and took them, and behold, they are hid in the midst of my tent, and the silver under it. In chapter 6, turn back the page, in chapter 6 you have the victory at Jericho when Joshua, under God's instructions, marched the children of Israel around the city of Jericho every day for six days, one time a day. And on the seventh day he marched around seven times and they shouted and blew ram's horns and the walls came tumbling down. And they went over the walls into the city and slew the enemy. But God gave orders in verse 19 that when, when they had experienced victory in Jericho, that all the vessels of the brass and iron and silver and gold and so forth were to come into the treasury of the Lord. But verse 1 tells us of chapter 7 that Achan took the accursed thing. The accursed thing being a goodly Babylonian garment of her, and 200 shekels of silver and a wedge of gold of 50 shekels and so on. Notice in verse 21 of chapter 7 the order. As Achan confesses his sin, he says, When I saw among the spoils, he saw this gold and silver and this Babylonian garment, he first saw them. And then a little further down in the verse it says, Then I 
coveted them. He saw them. He coveted them. And it says a little further, And I took them and hid them in the earth in the midst of my tent and the silver under it. He saw it. He coveted it. He took it. And he hid it. That verse in itself is an entire sermon. That's the order of sin. We look at it and we keep on looking. That's why the Bible said, shun the very appearance of evil. We're so constituted in our sinful nature that if we look at something too long that is sinful and wrong, the next thing we'll do is covet it, we'll want it. Nobody plunges into sin immediately. They sort of, uh, it's a process. Same process Achan experienced. He saw it. He kept looking at that gold and silver. He kept looking at it, and then he coveted it. He wanted it. And then he took it, and then he hid it. And that's the order with every Christian who gets away from God. He sees it. He coveted it. He covets it. Then he takes it, and then he tries to hide it. But the result of Achan's sin was that in chapter 7, God moved away from Israel and left them on their own, and on their own they tried to reason out how to have victory at Ai. And they reasoned wrong by saying in verse 3, let not all the people go up, but let about two or three thousand men go up and smite Ai, and make not all the people to labor thither, for they are but few. The men of Ai are only a few. We don't need to get the whole army involved. Let's end up two or three thousand people. Let the other people stay at home. And I mentioned what I preached the other night, <clears throat> that all of God's people ought to be involved all the time. And we ought to exert all of our strength all the time, no matter how small the job may be. Everybody ought to be involved. When we reason that everybody doesn't need to be involved, it's because of some sin. And the sin is, has resulted in God leaving us on our own, and we reason falsely that everybody doesn't need to be involved. And I don't want us to get that way here. I want everybody here involved all the time. Now, that false reasoning, which came as a result of God leaving them, which happened as a result of Achan's sin, which was regarded as the sin of all the nation. Look down at verse 11 of chapter 7. Israel hath sinned. Well, only Achan sinned. But God regarded the sin of Achan as the sin of the whole nation. I've had people say, well, what I do doesn't hurt anybody but me. But you're wrong. No man lives to himself and no man dies to himself. For whether we live or die, we are the Lord. And I'd say, just as a local congregation here, our people, if one member here doesn't do right, it affects the whole congregation. And so I'm pretty stern with you, and I preach pretty hard to you. Not for your sake alone, but for the sake of the whole family. We all ought to live right. Achan's sin was regarded by God as the sin of Israel. And the whole nation suffered, because you drop back up now in chapter 7, verse 4, so there went up thither of the people about 3,000 men, and they fled before the men of Ai. And the men of Ai smote them, about 30 and 6 men, 
for they chased them from before the gate, even unto Shebarim, and smote them in the going down, whereof the hearts of the people melted and became as water. Now because of Achan's disobedience and sin, God left them. And they reasoned that they didn't need all the people involved in the battle at Ai. And the result was that 36 men were killed, and the whole congregation became faint of heart, and the Bible said their heart melted, and they became as water. They were very defeated and depressed. There was no, what I call, schizorinkum about them. There was no courage and no boldness, because they had been defeated. Their morale was broken, and the enemy laughed, and they ran. Now, that's simply the story here. And uh, they were defeated in chapter 7. It's the only defeat that Israel suffered in the conquest of Canaan. Now, in chapter 8, they decide to go back to Ai again, and this time God gives them special instructions. But God doesn't give instructions in chapter 8 until the sin is taken care of in chapter 7. Now, let me show you something, and I'm going to come back in a minute, and I'll, I'll wrap all this up. But when they were defeated in chapter 7, look what the leader did. Of course, he's concerned. He's burdened. His people have been defeated. Thirty-six men have been slaughtered. The others run like coward dogs. And the hearts of all the people melt and become as water. And they're on the way down the hill. And look what happens. God bless old Joshua. He loved them. And he prayed for them. Look at him. And Joshua said in verse 7, Joshua said, Alas, O Lord God, wherefore hast thou at all brought this people over Jordan to deliver us into the hand of the Amorites to destroy us? Why did you deliver us out of the Egyptian bondage and bring us through the Red Sea out here in the wilderness, and now you're going to let the Amorites to destroy us? Would to God we had been content and dwelt on the other side of Jordan. When a Christian suffers defeat in his spiritual progress, if he doesn't watch out, he'll be longing to be back where he used to be as a sinner. When a man says to you, I, I, man, I, I just about soon not be saved. With all the pressure and hard time I'm having as a Christian, I, I would to God I was back like I was before. At least uh, I wasn't having this bad a time. When a man talks like that, you know he has been suffering some defeats in his spiritual life. When he says, I wish I was back in Egypt on the other side of Jordan, something's wrong with that guy. He needs to win a few battles because his heart is melted and become his water. Watch him in verse 8. Oh, Lord, hear him praying. I wish I could have been there. Hear him praying, O Lord, what shall I say when Israel turneth their backs before their enemies? No preacher feels good when his congregation are so weak-kneed and their potato-string backbones turn to the enemy, and the enemy runs you out of town with your tail tucked between your legs. No preacher feels good. What shall I say? Here's my people, Israel turning our back on their enemy. You know, God never meant us to turn our back on our enemy. If you read about the spiritual armor in Ephesians chapter 6, there's a breastplate of righteousness. 
There's the helmet of salvation. There are the shoes, which are the gospel of peace. There's the sword of the Spirit. And the only unprotected part of the body is the back. You know why God didn't put a shield on the back? He never mentioned to turn your back. And there's something wrong with the church whenever they turn their back. And there's something wrong with a Christian whenever he turns his back. It's because we've done some bad reasoning and we've suffered defeat and our hearts are melted and become like water and we're running from the devil. <laughs> when Tony was little, you wonder if he was ever little when you see him as big as he is now. But when he was little, we lived on Richard Road across from Sam Barber. I, I, I remember one time Tony came running through the house and hit the floor and it's all forward and slid across the wax kitchen floor about three yards up under the middle of the table. And I said, Tony, what, what in the world are you doing? Where are you going? He said, I'm running from the devil. I'm running from the devil. <laughs> Did you know the Bible never tells you to run from the devil? The Bible said in 2 Timothy 2.22, flee also youthful lust. Uh, it doesn't say uh, you can't, it doesn't say destroy them. You can't get rid of certain physical desires and lust. But the Bible says flee them, run from them. Never says run from the devil. The Bible says make the devil run from you. James 4 7 says resist the devil and he will flee from you. Never told you to run from him. But we've been running from the devil all my life. I mean, the church as a whole runs from the devil. If we was as serious about God's work as the liquor crowd is, we'd have evangelized the world 18 times in my lifetime. We're not serious at all. When they want to do something, they get it done, buddy. I mean, they spend all the money it takes, and they get it done. If we was as serious as communism is, we'd have done evangelize the world. We're not serious. We're piddling around. We're sucking our thumbs. And the world's going to hell. The world's going to hell, and we're doing nothing about it, and we're running from the devil. We're sliding on the kitchen table, hiding from the devil, when we ought to be making the devil run from us. Second Corinthians 10, 4 says, The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. When's the last time we pulled down any strongholds? The devil's been pulling down our strongholds. When's the last time we pulled down any? He takes away our tax exemption. Next thing you know, he's trying to tax the church. Takes away one thing after the other, and he keeps great gaining ground and pulling down our strongholds. But the Bible said we're supposed to be pulling down his. It bothers me. The army today, about 70% of the army is on AWOL. And another 15% on dress parade, and 5% in the back. And everybody who saves a soldier. But we're not interested. Let the devil take over. He didn't have it. I'm getting off what I wanted to say. I'm coming to what I wanted to say after a while. Listen at him pray in verse 8. Oh, Lord, what shall I say when Israel turneth their backs before their enemies? For the Canaanites and all the inhabitants of the land shall hear of it. I'm ashamed, Lord. We've suffered a feat and uh, Christians have turned their backs 
and they tuck their tails, and they're running like dogs. And now everybody's going to hear about it. I'm ashamed. I feel so bad. We're no threat to the devil. We're no threat to the devil. We're no threat to the liquor crowd. We're no threat to the uh, uh, producers of the pornographic literature. We're no threat to the communists who preach on all of our campuses across America and get paid for it. We're no threat to them. They won't let us come on and teach the subject of creation, but they'll let the communists come on and teach about evolution. We've given our kids over to the devil, and he's brainwashed our kids. And he's got us to the place where we can't talk our kids out of what the devil's brainwashed them with. And so we're beginning to agree with them about 70%. Reasoning that we must be wrong. No, we're not wrong. If we're with the Bible, we're right. We've always been right. The Bible never has been wrong. I'm, I'm ashamed, too. I'm ashamed that we haven't carpeted him more than what we have. Watch it. What shall he say? He said, because all the land shall hear about it and shall environ us around and cut off our name from the earth. And what will thou do unto thy great name? Catch it. Joshua is concerned about the defeat of Israel. He's concerned because they've turned their backs and ran. But in the final analysis, he's more concerned about the name of God. What folks will think about God. I'm a Baptist. I'm concerned about the Baptist movement. I'm a fundamentalist. I'm concerned about the fundamentalist movement. But I'm go beyond that. I'm concerned because God's name is being disgraced. What did he say down in the latter part of verse 9? What shall we do for thy great name? Your name is being disgraced. What about your name? What about your name? Let me tell you something. You're Christian. Christian. You carry the name of Christ. You're Christian. What about God's name? Christians and bear joint. What about God's name? Christians who voted for the liquor traffic. What about God's name? Christians who dress like Jezebel. What about God's great name? What about God's great name? You're a Christian. Christians who smoke cigarettes. What about God's great name? You say, you just want a congregation that's pure. Sure I do. I want you to live right. But wait a minute. I can get up more, draw more people if I get easy. If I don't holler and scream and spit by a sweet little sermonette, I keep a lot of people. But what about God's name? What about God's name? When I know as a Christian you ought to live pure and clean. What about God's name? I make a lot of enemies, run a lot of folk off. Yeah, folks who like their little toddies at night and their beer in their refrigerators, I run them off. My heart hurts. I don't like to see anybody leave. But what about God's great name? 
You're a Christian. You say, but Mother Curtis is another day. Yeah, same God. Same Bible. Same Holy Spirit. Oh, God! They don't want to hear about it now, and we'll be cut off. And our name will be cut off from the earth. And on top of that, what about your great name? You know, I'd rather live one year and live right and clean and pure for God's name's sake than to live ten years of weak, wishy-washy, flimsy-wimsy, potato-stracked, backbone-compromising, good Lord, good devil, Casper milk toast, thumb-sucking Christian. All right, so we get the biggest crowd in the world. But I can tell you when I get to heaven, and as a Christian, you stand there too at the judgment seat, and I can tell you, drug his name in the mud. You acted like the devil and lived like the devil and dressed like the devil. You want your kids to be popular, and you pushed them into sin. I can say, you knew better than I told you in Forest Hills Baptist Church. David said he leads us in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Surely seem old-fashioned to shop. Surely think I'm an old fatty daddy. And I'm of a long-gone generation of the past. Surely thinks that. But that's not my fault. Because I just preach what the Bible says. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego stood up like sore toes among the crowd. But they didn't stand up like sore toes and everybody else bowed down. If everybody else would have stood up, you'd have never seen them. But one by one, as all the others bowed down to Nebuchadnezzar, they stood up like three sore toes in the crowd. When you take a church that sticks with a book and tries to get people to live right and do right, it stands like a like stands up like a sore toe in the crowd. Why? Because everybody else in town's bowed down. He's praying, and what did God say? God said, You're concerned about my name, Joshua? You're concerned because the people of God are running in defeat? Look at verse 10. And the Lord said to Joshua, Get up! What? I'm down here agonizing, praying, crying. The Lord says it's not time to pray now. There is a time to pray and there's a time to act. But when prayer takes the place of duty, prayer is a sin. When a child ought to be spanked, it's a sin to pray for him. Spanking! Have a board meeting. I visited my sick father yesterday. I see him about an average once every two years in the hospital. 
spoke in Riverdale, Maryland, Thursday and Friday. I was up at five yesterday morning, and I caught a plane and I flew out of Washington, D.C. over to Rocky Mountain, North Carolina. And I visited my, my father in the hospital. And I talked with him the majority of the day, and I thanked him for being a strict father. But when he was raising me from my aunts and uncles, he said, when they get old, they're going to hate you. You're too stern. You're too strict. When they get old, they're going to hate you. If I got any aunts and uncles anywhere around here, I want to tell them something. I don't hate my father. I love my father. Sure, he peeped me sometimes, but I thought it was unmerciful. A couple of times I thought he was going to kill me. But he didn't. He wounded me bad. <laughs> I'm sure he prayed for me. He told me yesterday, I can't tell you the whole story. I, I'll tell you something. That's a long story. I may never tell the story, but he told me how he prayed for me 30 days before I was born. He'd never told me before. He told me why and so forth. There's sometimes you ought to pray, but there's other times you ought to act. God said to Joshua, Get up! Get up! Wherefore lies thou upon thy face? What are you doing down here praying? I think God gets sick of some of these mealy mouths. Serpy, good Lord, good devil, good fundamentalist, good modernist prayers. It's Jesus, 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 and everybody's sweet, sweet. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Sweet, 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 sweet. I get, I mean, get tired of that. Get up off your face. It's not time to pray, it's time to act. Israel has sinned. They have also transgressed my covenant which I have commanded them, for they have taken the accursed thing, and have also stolen and dis dissembled also. And they have put it even among their own stuff. Something that belongs to me, they've kept it and put it among their own stuff. I just ought to tell you that some of you got some stuff that belongs to God, too. And you ought to cough it up, you dirty, closed-fisted, penny-pinching God robbers. How do you like them apples? Don't get mad at me. Therefore, the children of Israel could not stand before their enemies. That's the reason you lost the battle! They sin. They've got some of God's things in their own stuff. And that's the reason they couldn't stand before their enemies and had to turn their backs. It is such a hopeless situation that my temptation is to fold my hands and fold my tent and say, God, Lord God, let me come home. Because... Israel only had one man in the camp that had sinned. They just had to trace down one thing. But there's so much sin among church people today that you start trying to get it all straightened out. 
and you just feel like it's like trying to dip the water out of a sinking battleship with a thimble. Because we even hint, like I'm hinting tonight, folks' eyes get big as half dollars. What would you do if I started pinpointing and calling you a name? And marching you by like Joshua did. Okay, Lord, that's a, if that's the problem, I'm marching by one by one. Come on, John. And one by one, he marched the whole nation of Israel by. And finally, come to Achan. And then in verse 28, he answered Joshua and said, Indeed, I've sinned against the Lord God of Israel, and thus and thus have I done. He went on to explain what his sin was. And verse 22 says, Joshua sent messengers, and they ran into the tent. Boy! They didn't lollygog around. They was in a hurry to get rid of the sin. Let's get it out now! Let's don't wait and wait and wait. As soon as they found out where the sin was, they ran to the tent. Verse 22. We've been sitting around for years. We ought to start running to the tent. Some of you have been harboring known sin in your life and making excuses for it. You ought to be running to the tent. They ran to the tent, and behold, it was hid in his tent and the silver under it. And they took them out of the midst of the tent and brought them unto Joshua and to all the children of Israel and laid them out before the Lord. What a day if God's people would run to the tent and bring everything that's ungodly and sinful out and lay it out before the Lord instead of saying, well, after all, this is the 20th century and things are different now and, and we're more educated. You're not that educated, buddy. If you are, you're too educated. You're too smart for your own good. What a day it'd be if every Christian come clean with God and drug it all out. Here's my mini skirts and short shorts. That's for the ladies. Here's my beer cans. I hate start naming sin because there's no way in the world you can cover it all. But just some examples. We just, you know. It's just nice to be religious. The church doesn't need a spiritual sun bath. It needs major surgery. I mean nationwide, buddy. They ran and laid it out before God. Lay it out! You think he doesn't see it, do you? Hidden peace sees it anyway. You may as well uncover it and lay it out. And Joshua and all Israel with him took Achan, the son of Zerah, and the silver, verse 24, and the garment and the wedge of gold, and his sons and his daughters and his oxen and his asses and his sheep and his tent and all that he had. And they brought him to the valley of Anchor. And Joshua said, Why hast thou troubled us? The Lord shall trouble thee this day. And all Israel stoned him with stones and burned him with fire after they had stoned him with stones. 
Sin's horrible. Sin's terrible. Rest it. You mean just kill a guy? Kill it! No, wait. I don't intend to start practicing that around here. But I want you to see how drastic God's man was here. Sin not something you rub under your tongue like a sweet morsel. Suck it like a lollipop. Make excuse for it. It's horrible. You need to spit it out. And they stoned Achan and all of his family and all of his cattle and all of his asses and everything he had. They stoned the whole bunch until they were dead. And then they burned them with fire. Set them on fire. And then in verse 26, they raised over him a heap of stones until this day. When they purged the camp of the sin, the next expression says, So the Lord turned from the fierceness of his anger. Wherefore the name of that place was called the Valley of Echar unto this day. And then in chapter 8, God said, All right, now, Joshua, fear not. Fear not, O boy, neither be thou dismayed, take all the people of war. You ran the show in the last chapter, I run in this one. You did what you thought was right in the last chapter, only getting a few of the people involved. But now you take all the men of war. With thee, arise, go up to Ai. See, I have given unto thy hand the king of Ai and his people in the city and his land. Give me the fundamental Christians of America and let me talk to them. And do what happened in this chapter with the exception of killing the ones that are caught sinning. But have them walk down the aisle and lay out the sin before the Lord, not before me. Because I may commit another sin when you tell me yours. I may want to gossip about it. And I may not be big enough to understand why you were weak enough to do what you did. They lay it out before the Lord. That's where they put it. And that's where you ought to lay yours. And get it all out in the open. And then, God say, all right, now then we're ready for battle. Let's go to Ai, boys. Get every single one of the men of war. We're going, we're going to get Ai. And they went up to Ai, and they won a victory, and they never had another defeat until they were in Canaan. The United States of America is ripe for revival tonight. The United States of America is like a is like a field or woods that is strong with kindling wood. This church is part of the kindling. There are other churches around this town that are part of the kindling. First Baptist Church over there in Maryland, where I was Thursday and Friday night, is part of the kindling wood. God's raised up these churches all over the country. There are more great churches in America than there ever has been. There are some folks sitting around with a long face and a pessimistic attitude, saying it can't be done, and someday they're going to read in the history book where this was the fourth evangelical awakening. We're having more people saved and baptized today than there ever have been in the history of the world. More dollars being given to missions than there ever have been in the history of the world. 
But our efforts are singular and not united. And America is like a wood strong with kindling wood. And now it's almost like it's gasoline soaked. And waiting for somebody to strike the match. But what happens is, it, is each little church tries to do it all by themselves. You know why they didn't win the war at AI in chapter 7? Because only a few of them tried to win it. Amen? And you know why only a few of them tried to win it? Because there was a sin that made them think that they only needed a few. And you know what the sin was? It was a sin of selfishness. I want that gold. I want that silver. I want that garment. You know why we're not now having a tremendous revival in America? Because we don't have all the army involved. And you know why all the army is not involved? Because some of the army thinks they can do it by themselves. And you know why some of the army thinks they can do it by themselves? There's a sin. You know what the sin is? Selfishness. This fellowship of churches says, well, we want to do it. We want to have revival, but uh, we want to do it ourselves so we can be the ones who've done it. Selfishness. This institution says we're going to send out enough preachers to take the whole world for God, but we want to do it by ourselves, so our name be at the top when the fires start burning. We want our flag at the top of the mast. Selfishness. Until the fundamentalists in America get together and get to the place where they don't care whose flag flies at the top, we ain't going to do nothing. If Baptist University can be a part of it, then let it be a part. If Forest Hills can be part of the kindling wood, then let it be a part. I'd rather be part of the kindling wood that starts the fire, that sets the world on fire, than to not have a fire at all. And when we think we can do it alone, and we only need a few of the people, it's because of a sin of selfishness that we want the glory for ourselves and our movement. I'd like to see it happen. Let God get the glory. Amen. 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 God didn't design that victory come through the efforts of a few. God designed that victory come through the efforts of all the men of war. And to all the fundamentalists, no matter what their tag is, get together. We're doing all we're going to ever do in America. I sort of got off my subject. That was my introduction. Here's my sermon. I stopped listening. Thank you for listening to the Classic Sermons podcast from PreachTheBible.org, a ministry of North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California. To listen to many more powerful sermons, visit our website, PreachTheBible.org. 
If you enjoy Christian music and programming, visit knvbc.com for Christian music you can trust.